Hey, Oasis family, I hope you are well today. I'm so excited to share God's word with you today. Man, God's doing some awesome things in our community. I really believe that the connection and the community and the gatherings that we have on Sundays and here on, online are important, but there is nothing that is more powerful in what we do as a church than connect groups. And connect groups are happening again uh, starting July 10th. You can find the right group for you. I love that. Find the right group for you. Sounds like a commercial at oasisla.org forward slash groups. Whoever wrote that language is just brilliant. You probably should be working for a marketing firm somewhere. Find the right group for you at oasisla.org forward slash groups. In all seriousness, I would not be the man I am without groups. Um, I wouldn't, uh, without community and without groups. Um, I learned the word of God through a Bible study and my Bible study group leader giving me his Bible college homework. I, I've had accountability and love and encouragement in my marriage through, through groups. This is a wildly important part of your journey with Christ. And I don't believe that you can have a relationship with God personally without having a relationship with God communally with other believers. And so I wanna encourage you to sign up for a group today. Uh, it would do your pastor's heart some good. So sign up for a community group today or a discipleship group. There's uh, three to choose from, three different types or three different styles. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do with that. And the other really cool, huge announcement that we have is that we're having uh, some summer service times. We're, we're having some summer service times because in the morning, you know, especially in person, you know, summertime's tough getting out of bed, kids are out of school, and we've been seeing uh, the 9 a.m. service specifically dwindle in person. And even online, people aren't just up out of bed yet. And so our 11 o'clock online and in-person services are blowing up and nine is a little slow. And we want both of those services to grow and be healthy and be awesome. And so we're going to try some summer service hours. So the 9 a.m. service is going to move to 9.30 a.m. starting July 24th. You can sleep in a half hour more. It's going to be incredible. July 24th, the 9 a.m. service is going to be moving to 9.30. Now, now listen, if you say, I don't like that, I like when service is at 9, then get up, grab your coffee, do a little bit of Bible study, prayer from 9 to 9.30, and the service will start at 9.30, and your church service will just be longer. Like, I want to bless you uh, with a longer church service since you like church early and a long time. And then the 11 a.m. service, for you guys, we don't want to mess with you too much. It's just going to move 15 minutes forward where most of you show up anyway to 11.15 a.m. So new service times July 24th are 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. Now to be completely clear because we get questions, we do not have four different services. One at 9, one at 9.30. No, no, no. 9 a.m. is moving to 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. is moving to 11.15 a.m. A.M. This will leave us plenty of time for you to be able to get your, your kids up and watching online at 9.30 and then you yourself being able to do that. And then, of course, our in-person services. We believe this is going to be awesome. And so I'm excited about that. Write them in your calendar. Uh, July 24th, 9 a.m. moving to 9.30, 11 a.m. moving to 11.15 a.m. Sound cool? I hope it does. Put some hand claps in the chat for those who love to sleep in. And for 11 a.m., for those who are late, put some hand claps in the chat because we helped you out by 15 minutes. Amazing. Uh, last week, a uh, monumental court decision was passed where Roe versus Wade, that's been around since 1973, was overturned. And I felt this burden because I'm seeing all these different things online to bring our church together and talk about it 
in a way that is both biblical, but is also practical. Like, what do we do when things like this happen? And so it's been difficult because I've kind of like thrown some stuff out there that the Lord's been showing me on the internet and certain people have been getting mad and pastors are getting mad and people who are getting mad and like conservatives were mad and liberals were mad. And I'm like, okay, so let, this is good. I'm glad that we're talking about this. And I really wanted to bring our church together. If you're watching and you're not a part of our church and you plan on trolling the chat this whole time, I love trolls. I'm one myself. I love to troll and joke people. And so just so you know, if you plan, if you're not a part of our community, you plan on trolling me and trolling the chat the whole time, just know you are loved by God and your trolling is welcome. We're all welcome here at Oasis, no matter what you do. I would advise you not to do that and really just lean in and be humble and listen. But man, this has been a challenging week to, to say the least. And so I really believe that the Lord has shown me some biblical perspective uh, whether, uh, no matter what side you're on, because I think we've all kind of picked a side when we've come to this. And some of us are in the middle feeling like, am I less a Christian because I haven't picked a side yet? Like what's, what's going on um, with this? And I wanna read a verse to you before I begin, because this verse is gonna be the premise on how we listen to everything you're about to hear. It's something that God put on my heart. James 1, verse 19 through 22 say, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think this is already important theology on everyone because I think what I've seen a lot on the internet is everyone should be celebrating Roe versus Wade or everyone should not be celebrating this. This is against women's rights. And I've noticed that most people who think that Roe versus Wade is great think that everyone should think it's great. And most people who think it's bad think that everyone should think it's bad. And there is no scriptural context about what everyone should think about Roe versus Wade. There's no verse in the Bible that says everyone should be happy when an abortion law is passed. But there is a scripture here that clearly says what everyone should do. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And what I've seen on the internet is fast to speak, slow to listen, and quick to become angry. And everyone should do the opposite because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So if you think that there's something that God wants out of this situation, the Bible says human anger will not produce it. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And I know somebody's saying right there, well, I don't have human anger, I have righteous anger. Mm, Lord told me, I don't know if we're holy enough to be angry. Like God's anger is enraptured in his holiness. So if you give yourself permission to display God's anger, you also have the higher responsibility to display God's holiness. And I'm not sure if you want the consequences of failing to be holy because you've adopted anger. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And this is the part I want you to hear. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Um, You cannot correctly interpret the Bible unless you have a humble heart. And so as we're reading scriptures and claiming we're right, one side or the other, if we're doing so without humility, it increases the odds that our interpretation about the word of God are absolutely incorrect. So Father, I thank you that humble hearts are listening here on our online church service, God, and that you're going to do the miraculous is to take this subject that has divided people for decades and in this house, bring people together in unity. And even if they don't completely agree, we will be together and able to move forward. I want you, in Jesus' name, amen. I almost forgot to say amen. Uh, 
I'm going to just give a statement on the entire purpose why I felt like I wanted to speak on this, and I'm going to read it out loud to you. The goal of this message is to speak to two different types of church members whose perspectives on abortion and Roe versus Wade are vastly different. My prayer is that our quest for humility would equal our quest for truth and justice so that we may understand the pain we have caused to fellow believers and the damage we have done to the kingdom of God by publicly arguing and attacking each other on the issue of abortion. I'm gonna read that again. The goal of this message is to speak to two different types of church members whose perspectives on abortion abortion and Roe versus Wade are vastly different. My prayer is that our quest for humility would equal our quest for truth and justice so we may understand the pain we have caused to fellow believers and the damage we have done to the kingdom of God by publicly arguing and attacking each other on the issue of abortion. At any time during this message, I want to give you a cell phone number, not my cell phone number, um, a cell phone number that I have access to. Don't need y'all blowing me up because you're mad. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I already prayed for humility, so I think it's going to be great. Uh, um, give you a cell phone number to text any questions you have to at any course during this message, and I will personally answer all of those questions. The number is 818-213-1337. Do me a favor. I really want to use this platform for questions. So do your best not to text statements because um, if you want to make your statement, that's great. I, I, I want to hear from you, but I don't want to sift through hundreds of statements looking for the question. So 818-213-1337 at any given time if you feel like you want to say, what about this or what about that? Because I do, it might help me do a part two if there's questions in there that I have not answered. And so I really appreciate the humble hearts listening right now because I believe God's going to speak to us all. And I can promise you as your pastor, I've been in the presence of God about this. I'd like to humbly submit to you that none of this has come from my personal opinion about it. I really, really, really can stand before the Lord and say that I sought him about this. So the first verse I wanted to start with is a verse that's plastered all over the internet uh, in, in response to Roe versus Wade, primarily by believers or people who support Roe versus Wade. And you've seen it on the internet. It's Psalm 139, verses 13 through 24. Actually, they don't post the whole thing. They only post verse 13, a few verses. And it says, for you created my, you created my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. Does anyone on the internet seen that if someone's celebrating Roe versus Wade, they would typically attach this verse as this verse means it applies to abortion, applies to Roe versus Wade. Unfortunately, I've not yet completed my biblical studies degree. I have started a journey in that. And one of the first things that they taught was you have to be very careful with taking Bible verses and making them mean what you want them to mean. Now, you can get a personal revelation about this. So I could read this verse and go, and let's say I'm a pregnant girl and I'm thinking about having an abortion. I can read this verse and get a personal revelation about abortion from this verse but in order to get a true biblical truth revelation, I would need to know what David was doing and talking about when he wrote this verse. 
And if David wasn't talking about abortion, I can't use this verse and make it doctrine or theology about abortion. I can only use this verse to give me a personal revelation about abortion. What does that mean? That every time I have a personal revelation, then I sit down in community with humility to discuss my personal revelation and give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to give someone else that personal revelation. If it's doctrine, then I want to preach it like it's the truth. There is certain scriptures in the Bible that are doctrine. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is not a personal revelation. That is corporate doctrine. Preach it from the mountaintops to all ears who would listen. But when you're reading scriptures like this and you get a personal revelation at life, you got to be careful that we don't make it doctrine. Why? Your eyes saw my unformed body. body. And I, I know people right now are going, wait a minute, this is about life. This is about life. This is about life. This is about that every life that God uh, is in the belly of a woman should live. This verse is about life. Let's keep reading. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And verse 19 if only God, you would slay the wicked. Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was about life. You know what slay means in Hebrew? Kill them all. All my enemies, kill them. They got to go. No, 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 they got to live. No, 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 because David didn't say my enemies were knit in their mother's womb. He said, kill them which means that he is weighing life and death in the same verse. I know you knit me in my mother's womb, but did you knit them? Because they're trying to kill me. And if you cared about me, wouldn't you kill them? He is processing in the presence of God. He's not giving answers. He's processing in the presence of God. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just think, man, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Process that in the presence of God. If only God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search my heart, my God. <laughs> Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Lord, you knit me in my mother's womb. Kill them all. Search my heart. <laughs> Every statement that we make about this should probably end with search my heart, know my heart, test me and my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I want to submit to you, if you are one of the ones who posted this verse online, um, it does not, uh, 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 and I want to be careful and clear. This verse absolutely supports that God has something to do with the pregnancy of a woman. That's a fact. It's a spiritual fact and a scientific fact. This verse does not support that it automatically means Roe versus Wade is a good idea. Now, I'm not saying whether it is or not, because I believe that's a political law. We need great laws. But to apply Psalm 139... To life begins in the womb is correct. But to apply Psalm 139 to Roe versus Wade, I believe is incorrect. Here's why. 
let's say I'm in my conference room with our church and we're talking about, and one of our team members comes up with this idea to reach the lost. And they say, Pastor Julian, we want to have this massive conference. We want to have this massive thing uh, in our church. And I believe, Pastor Julian, if you gave us $50,000, we would have this insane conference and thousands of people would get saved. And I would go, I don't know if that's a good idea. And then that person with the idea goes, you want people to go to hell. Whoa whoa, I don't want people to go to hell. I just don't know if your plan to get people from going to hell is the right thing. So just because I don't agree with Roe versus Wade doesn't mean that I don't care about babies. It just means I don't know about that. And so what I'm suggesting to us all is that just because somebody doesn't know about that doesn't mean that they don't care about babies. Maybe they just think there, is there another way? Here's what I've come when I've come to read the law, and if um, you're logging out right now, you, or you're about to, you didn't hear the first thing, humbly, I prayed for humble, because I'm going to get to abortion in a second. I, I want us to have the proper theology around life, because Psalm 139 is to give us theology about life, that God creates every life in the womb. What I am suggesting and submitting to you humbly that I want you to pray about is Psalm 139 has nothing to do with how to create a law. It just has to do with, yes, God is involved with life. Here's Romans 17. We're going to get into some theology about law. So so I want everybody to accept this. Like, you you ain't a product of somebody that used to be a monkey. Can I just say that right now? Like, I don't believe in evolution. There was not a cell that there was not an explosion. Nobody can make me believe there was some explosion and then a bunch of sails happened from the explosion and eventually that sail became a bigger sail. Eventually that sail starts swimming and eventually that sail became a monkey and then now that monkey is you, but we can go to the zoo and visit other monkeys that didn't make it. No one's going to make me believe that. You have a, an intentional, that's dumber than faith to me. Like I'm, I'm going to believe that God created me with intention because I'm not, and then we all pay to go see the monkeys. Shouldn't the monkeys pay to come see us if that was true? We're the ones who made it. Like, I don't get it. So I don't believe in that. I really believe that God creates life. But I want to submit to you some theology around the law and what the law actually does. From God's law to human laws. Romans 7 verses 1 through 13 say this. Y'all don't mind a Bible study, do you? Because I'm not saying anything that's my opinion. This is the word of God. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply. Wait a minute, can we just stop here for a second? And and can I just talk about, if I approach it, I feel like I approach subjects like this any other way than just being direct, angry, and overtly political, then I get called a woke pastor. And I want to tell you that I'm just as concerned with being a hypocrite as I'm concerned with being woke. Because this says, for example, one of the laws is that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. As long as he's alive. But yet we found a way for pastors to cheat on their wives, be restored, get up there with their, the person they, that, that, that's their mistress, remarry, and then still lead the church. We found a way around that. So we find a way in our own human depravity around laws that would affect us. 
We have found a way around it. I don't want anything to be illegal that I currently do. Because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I don't want anything to be illegal that I currently do. I always want things to be illegal that someone else does. Is anybody like that? We're all, we're all like that. And so I'm just saying that we got to be careful. Let me tell you what the law does. And here's what's crazy. So while her husband alive, she would not be committed. She would be committing adultery if she married another man. While her husband's alive. Well, no, God redeemed you. There's grace. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you laid up and now if you are married on your second marriage, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there because I, I don't want you sitting next to your second husband going, oh, my God, what have we done? Because I'm, let me finish. The law, he's giving an example of the law. So that's the way it used to be. Listen to verse four. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died to Christ. What? So God wants believers to be dead to the power of the law? Well, what power does the law have? What power does the law have? Because there's two different laws that we're going to read about today. There's, there's two different powers, excuse me. There's the power of the spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead. The Bible says the same power lives in you. So there's the power of the spirit and there's the power of the law. And the power of the spirit and the power of the law do to two totally different things. So what does the power of the spirit do in difference from the power of the law? The power of the law tries to work from the outside in. The power of the spirit works from the inside out. So when I want to be lazy in my discipleship, I'm looking for something to work from the outside in. The power of the law works from the outside in. The power of the spirit works from the inside out. In the Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, there is no word for responsibility. It just doesn't translate well. Most of the words they find are respond. So responsibility means there's an outside pressure that makes you take responsibility. Respond is there's an inside conviction that makes you do the same thing. Responsibility and response can make you do the same thing, but I want to submit to you, one produces spiritual death, one produces spiritual life. It is, if it's your response, the Spirit's power getting you to do that, or, or a responsibility, the law from the outside getting you to do that, let's keep going. This is important. My dear brothers and sisters, you died to the law. You died to the power of the law, the thing from the outside that's trying to do something on the inside. You died to that when you believed in Christ. And now you are united with one who was raised from the dead. And as a result of being dead to the law, listen to this, you can produce a harvest of good deeds for God because you're dead to the power of the law. Wait a minute. If I'm dead to the power of the law, but alive in the power of the spirit, I can do the things the law wants me to do? When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds. This is saying God's laws made people want to do more of the wrong thing. But now, we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but the new way of living in the spirit. Religion, the same religion that killed Jesus, is always trying to do it the old way. The law, not the spirit, the law. 
Spirit's too dangerous. Spirit leaves people making choices. The law is cut and dry. The law is, it's clean. It's like, it's clear. The spirit, who knows? And y'all know this, man, in church, where people listen to the spirit. The spirit told me I'm supposed to move to Canada. The spirit told me I'm supposed to go to Maine. The spirit, so we like, this spirit stuff ain't working because y'all getting crazier and crazier the more you listen to the spirit. Y'all doing more stupid stuff than ever before. The spirit told me that's my husband. This dude just got out of jail and don't believe in God, but the spirit told you that's my husband. The spirit told me that's my wife. And so what happens is that we don't have the patience to let the spirit do its, his job. And so, oh, I need a law. He's saying now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. So for all you people that are like, that's why we don't need laws. Can I just, see, that's why we don't, see, he's, get them, Pastor Julian. Because if you're doing that right now, you're not humble because I'm about to come for everybody. <laughs> what am I then? Am I suggesting the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law So here's what's crazy. What Paul is saying is a good law produced sinful deeds. So the deception is that a good law would produce righteous deeds. That's not true, according to Romans 7, that good and holy laws produced sinful deeds. The law aroused their evil desires. It says it was fact, but the law is good. The law is holy. And it was a law that showed me my sin, the verse said. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Listen to verse eight. This is theology. But sin, use the command to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At what? Yo. He was like, I used to not know the law. And then I heard that I couldn't covet, which I couldn't be jealous. And as soon as I heard it, I started getting jealous. Even more than I was jealous before. Because sin used the law to try to get people to do something. Here's really what's important when you understand this about the devil. Is is the devil will use scripture. When the devil tempted Jesus, he quoted Psalms 91. And tried to use the word of God to get him to do something. And so verse 9, Paul said, at one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered, if you don't listen to any other verse at all, listen to verse number 10. I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? He's processing. This is confusing. We need to stop saying that this is clear. No, he's processing this in the presence of God. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So if you go back to Psalm 139, there is scriptural evidence that life begins in the womb. That is fact. Matter of fact, the... the, the uh, the, the uh, certain parts of the Baptist church prior to Roe versus Wade were absolutely okay with abortion until scientifically it was proven that babies have heartbeats at, at six weeks and, 
and, and um, you know, they could feel pain at 12 weeks. And so then what Christians did when they discovered that news and that information, they went, we need a law. And Jesus is like, we need the spirit. And Christians, we need a law. And we need a spirit because laws are holy and good. And Paul's like, yeah, but they produce evil desires. So the more, and here's how we know this is true. Did you know that in the week that this law was passed, plan B pills went up. And if you know what plan B bill is a pill you take after you uh, have sex that makes sure you can't get pregnant. Do you know plan B pills went up 3,000%? Amazon had to put a limit on how many you could order. 3,000%. Tens of millions of dollars were released to Planned Parenthood and things like that. Um, in states surrounding Texas, I think Texas abortion dropped up, dropped 60%. And the month after they passed the restrictive abortion law, every other surrounding state, the minimum abortions went up with Texas addresses was 100%. 100% increase in the surrounding states. Some states, 300% increases, not in abortions, in abortions from people with Texas addresses. So this is arousing this, this need. No, I want to do this. I want to make this choice. This is not fair. And that's the power that the law has over the human soul. Did the law which is good cause my death? Paul says in verse 13, of course not. Sin used what was good. Now, if you're on the side where you think every law that is opposite of what you want to do is terrible, I want you to pray about that because Paul says in verse 13 that sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we see how terrible sin is. Not people, not Supreme Court justices, not you. If you want to have an abortion, sin is awful. It uses God's good commands for even its own evil purposes. Romans 8 verse 1-4, Paul continues and says, By the way, since we're talking about the law, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. And I put this in all caps. So God did what the law could not do. Do I need to? It's in all caps. So God did what the law could not do. God did what the law could not do. It's right there in all caps. Romans 8 verse 3. So God did what the law could not do. When this law was passed this week, I just prayed to Jesus, Lord, would you do what the law cannot do? The law can only condemn. It can never convict. God, would you do what the law could not do? As a person that stands before you that had an abortion or his girlfriend had an abortion at 19 and now I'm married with two beautiful children, it wasn't because a law got passed. It was because the Lord did what the law could not do, which is make me new. Have me believe. Put a a vision and a life inside of me that said, I want to leave a legacy 100 years from now. Thank you to a God who will do what the law could not do. Sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his sons as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Paul then 
continues to talk about this in Romans 5. If you want to understand the gospel versus the law, you got to read Romans, Romans 5. This is where we, we really can lock into this. Romans 5, verses 20 through 21. But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace has surpassed it and increased all the more. I want you to write this down. This is theology. Sin should never make us want to increase the laws. Sin should make us want to increase grace. That's what the Bible says. Sin should never want to make us increase the laws. Sin should want to make us increase grace. Grace always makes us want to increase the law that God writes on our hearts. So I'm, not, I'm coming for you because sin should make us believers want to increase grace. And grace always wants you. Grace always leads you to increase your knowledge of what God wants compared to what you want. Titus 2, verse 11 and 12 say this, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So then why do well-meaning, awesome believers, please don't villainize someone who celebrated Roe versus Wade. Please don't villainize someone who's not celebrating it. The reason I believe that well-meaning people have entered into this law phase is because America has been so good to them, they have made America Israel. Oh, oh my God. Mm. Wow. Sheesh. Sheesh. Let's sip this water real quick. <laughs> sip this water. America has been so good to them, they think America is the promised land and America is Israel. So you interpret the Bible correctly if you understand what America is. Is America Egypt or is America Israel? Because when, if America's Egypt, then God sent an anointed leader. Lord, please help me make me that anointed leader. Then God sent an anointed leader, by the way, in the middle of mass abortion. Because Pharaoh said, let's kill every kid under two. And it was a midwife that were not killing the babies that saved Moses. Oh, I feel like preaching. In the middle of mass abortion, God raised Moses up in Egypt and led Egypt to salvation. Then out of Egypt, God said, I'm going to make you a nation called Israel. And the moment he made him a nation, he gave him the law. So if America's Israel, we need laws. If America's Egypt, we need salvation. So when the enemy wants to confuse us on which one we are, we will, we will submit a law, not the gospel. America needs to hear the gospel because it is Egypt. And pastors everywhere in America need to be Moses, not the Moses with the Ten Commandments, but Moses with the staff. And if you are a mega church, your staff, literally, your staff, the people you hired are the thing you raised over the Red Sea to lead America into the, I feel like preaching. Not the staff that passes you to Ten Commandments. That's in the wilderness when they've already been made a nation. Right. So laws in the Bible were not restrictive. They were not preventative. They were promissory. God said, if you do this, then I will do this. So any law surrounding having children needs, if it's biblical, needs to have a promise attached to it. I feel like preaching. Can I prove it to you? Because some of you are saying, 
But yes, but yeah, okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but Pastor Julian, but like, like abortion, but you just read Psalm 139 and it said that, 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 that it's a life. So every single life, every single situation, in every single situation, a baby should be born, even if it's rape. So, so because God is involved in, 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 the pro, in, in pregnancy, God is the one who creates pregnancy. But when there's evil at conception, does God ordain the pregnancy? That's what we got to pray about. And some of you who, yes, absolutely. God wants every life. Are you sure? How do you explain the flood when the whole world is filled with evil? Are you sure? I mean, I'm not sure. Paul said this, and I don't know if you're Paul. Hey, my conscience is clear, but I'm not sure. God will judge me if I'm telling you something wrong. My conscience is clear, but I'm not. Are you sure? Let me just give you an example. 2 Samuel 12. The Bible says a guy named David, King David, man after God's own heart, saw a fine girl named Bathsheba. Like Bathsheba got out of the bath. That's why I call her name Bathsheba because she got out of the bath. She didn't have no clothes on, standing on a balcony. And, and uh, David said, oh, my God, my God, this girl is fine. So David kills her husband. She's married or has her husband sent off to war so she can, he can die, takes this woman as his wife. No, excuse me. He slept with her first, got her pregnant while the husband was still alive, and while and, and, and hit her so no one would know she was pregnant. He didn't take her to get an abortion to hide, his, to hide what he did. He wanted to keep the baby. He wanted to do all this. And so he had her husband, Uriah, killed in battle, sent him off to a battle that he knew Uriah would, lit, would lose. Uriah loses, dies in battle, and he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and now Bathsheba's pregnant. And the Bible says a man named Nathan rebuked him showed up to him and said this to him and said this specifically, that child you have will not live. And the Bible says that God afflicted the baby with an illness. 2 Samuel 12 verse 21 says that he was fasting. He was like, God, please save this baby. But because of the evil with which the baby was conceived, God had pronounced that the baby will not live. What am I saying to you? I'm saying when it comes to rape, I don't know. Now, I've heard beautiful stories of women who got raped and kept their child because they wanted God to use something good out of what happened was bad. And then I heard stories of women that could not do it. And and I get both stories and both stories are possible. But to say that there's a biblical doctrine that in every case, because that baby died. And the Bible says this is what happened. When God, when David prayed for seven days, for the baby to live, and the baby died. Some of us have been interceding for abortion to stop, and it isn't. And the Bible says when the baby died, David washed his face and worshiped the Lord. And what God has been telling me is when are Christians going to wash their face and worship the Lord? No matter what's going on. No matter what laws are passed, no matter what God does, when God did something David didn't understand, matter of fact, when God begged David to do it and God did not do it, what are you begging God to do that he's not doing? And then when he doesn't do it, after you begged him to do it, you wash your face and worship the Lord. His servants were confused. Verse 21 says, what is this thing you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was still alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows 
whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? And Julian, don't you start crying at this revelation David had. Because he said, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What? What do you mean you shall go to him? David's like, oh, the reason why I'm worshiping is because I'm going to see that baby in heaven. I'll go to him, but the baby ain't going to come to me. Remember I told you when I had an, uh, my girlfriend had an abortion at 19 years old, I was a pastor already. I had this dream and I've shared this before. I'm holding this beautiful child and God hands me this beautiful child through this glory crowd, cloud. And I'm holding this child in this dream. And this child is the most beautiful child I've ever seen. And it was just so real. I couldn't even tell whether I was asleep or, or whether I was awake. And so obviously I was asleep. And when I awoke, I just prayed, God, what are Christina and I supposed to have another kid? What? baby is this? And the Lord said, remember that baby that your girlfriend aborted at 19? This baby is waiting for you. And you're going to raise this baby in heaven. And in that moment, I could say, just like David, I shall go to him or her, but they shall not return to me. This is both evidence that life matters so much to God that even if he says the baby won't live, it's alive in heaven. It confirms both the value of life. God valued that baby's life. He said, no, you ain't. And here's what's crazy. The next baby was Solomon from Bathsheba, the richest, wisest man who ever lived and the great, 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 great grandpa of Jesus. So I want to pronounce to you that if you have lost or given up your baby in fear, I'm pronouncing a Solomon over your next child. Oh my God. I want to throw this binder. So what is it saying? It's saying that this, this, this thing causes us to press into God, to lean into God and get personal revelation because I could read this verse and say God's okay if, with an abortion, not necessarily because this is an isolated case. Again, you can't take Psalm 139 and make it mean across the board. You can't take this verse and say that's what it means. Right. No, you have to lean into God. Right. But I want you to understand, some people say the Bible is clear. Uh, is it? Right. I mean, I read the Bible all the time. My, 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 my aunt got me a Bible when I was six years old. And I would always read until it wasn't clear. And I would close it. <laughs> God said, let there be light. I'm like, come on, Jesus. Then sin is crouching at the door. I'm like, ooh, I don't want sin to crouch at my door. That's like, dude, it was confusing. It was confusing. We need revelation, not rules. Without prophetic revelation, the people perish, the Bible says. So we do need rules, but the rules need to be produced by prophetic revelation. Here's how I know this is true. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 13, Paul says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. You know what that word judge means in the Greek? To make a law based off a biblical standard. Well, we don't do that for non-believers. We do that for us. So with all the drama happening in the church, the church needs some new laws. With all the drama happening in the world, the world needs grace. The church needs the laws. 
Because as we operate in our holiness, what we can do, we can be fruitful and multiply and be a light to the world. God has called us to be a light to the world. The reason why they're not obeying the law is that they're in darkness and we need to be a light to the world, not the law to the world, the light to the world. Jesus fulfilled the law, but he has yet to fulfill the light. He called the church to be the light. And the reason why the church can be the light is because they don't have to be worried about fulfilling the law. I'm about to throw this binder. So we need to, I'm asking you, I'm like, hey, if you're like way over here that there's no circumstances where someone should have an abortion, I want you to read 2 Samuel and I want you to pray about it. But also, if, if abortion for you is a sign of birth control and people can just do it freely, I want you to pray about it if you're on this side and you're way left. Hey, is there any circumstances where abortion is wrong? Is there any, and maybe God will give you the same answer. No, but don't say it right away because you don't pray about it. I'm just submitting to you my journey in the Bible studies is kind of all over the place, and I think we need to seek God, but what we know is not all over the place is not I seek God about the law. We don't need to seek God about life. We do not need to seek God about, God is absolutely involved. Let me be clear, God is involved with every life. That's a fact. We do not need to seek God about that because here's the reality. 74% of all abortions are people of color and people living 200% below the poverty line. 74% are people, you want to talk about race? Race. 74% are people of color and they live 200% below the poverty line. And, and abortion is a $2 billion business primarily made off the poverty of people of color. That's a fact. So if I told you I was going to start a business and I was going to make $2 billion and we were going to abort 74% of all people, of, of children of color, would you, would you bless that business? You'd go, like, what, 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 there's, why are there so many black? In one year, there were more black babies aborted in New York than were born. If you knew, I want you to operate in prophecy, not anger. If your homegirl was pregnant and afraid and the Lord told you that the next Martin Luther King was in her stomach, what would you tell her? Would you tell her you're not ready to raise the Martin Luther King? No, you would encourage her. You, it, it, this is the thing where both sides need to come together and seek the Lord. I don't think we should be relying on the Supreme Court to decide this for us and all we do is argue is fight. Paul said this too in 1 Corinthians 1. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter? Instead of taking it to other believers and talking it out, don't you realize that someday... When we're redeemed enough to not be here hypocritical, someday we will judge the world. And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that you will judge angels? So you surely should be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who ain't respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Shame on you, Paul's saying. Isn't there anyone at all in the church who's wise enough to decide on these matters, but instead one believer sues another. Right in front of other believers, they take it to secular courts. We got to get together and talk. The far right and the far left. We got to have a meeting. This is deep. We got to get this right. We got to stop arguing on the internet. 
And I think some people from the far right, there's some things you're wrong about. And some people on the far left, there's some things you're wrong about too. Some people on the far right, there's some things you're right about. I, I do believe that life starts in the womb and we need to, there needs to be less abortions. President Biden is on video saying there's less abortions. There needs to be less abortions and then fell to political pressure for there to be more abortions. So, so he's, he's vacillating too. So we need to come together. Can I read to you another verse I've seen on the internet? And I am grossly over time, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.5, when people were celebrating Roe versus Wade, it said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I knew you in your mother's womb. I'm going to speak to you in the womb. Did y'all know, people watching online, everybody in this room, did y'all know that this is the only prophet that God has ever said this to? Out of all the minor prophets, he never told Elijah this. He never told Moses this. He never told Daniel this. He never told Elisha this. He never told, he never, Jeremiah is the only prophet that he ever said this to. Isn't that weird? If this is something that God wanted every, all of God's people to know, which I would assume he does, why didn't he say it to every prophet? There's nothing on record that he said it to Jesus. Hey, I formed you in Mary's womb. He never, he only said it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the only prophet, for the most part, that was dealing with people sacrificing their babies. So Jeremiah is this young boy, and God, and this is when Jeremiah was called. The very first thing God said to Jeremiah, I knit you in your mother's womb. What? Not I'm calling you to preach, I knit you in your mother's womb. Why is he saying that to Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was getting ready to talk to a group of people who were sacrificing their babies in the fire in exchange for prosperity in their future. So he tells them in Jeremiah 1, I knit you in your mother's womb. And watch what he has Jeremiah prophesy in Jeremiah 19. He says, this is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar. Uh, This is verse 1. Uh, go buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom near the entrance of the uh, potter gate. There proclaim the words I tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Listen, I'm gonna bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle for they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to gods that neither their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter into my mind. So Israel was literally taking their newborn babies, and I'm going to be careful to be graphic in case you got kids, but they would take their newborn babies and they would light a fire, and there was this big metal statue, and you can get the point of what I'm about to tell you they would do. And so God called Jeremiah to get them to stop doing that, to get them to stop doing that. You could call this the most diabolical form form of of abortion that ever existed. But before Jeremiah, uh, God called Jeremiah to talk to them about this. He was the only prophet that said, I knit you in your mother's womb. And we use that as a verse on abortion. Now, now I want you to skip to chapter 20 because something interesting happens. Jeremiah is talking to these people about what they're doing with their children. And one of the things that I hear out there that I get, men should not tell women what to do with their bodies. And I get that. And here's why I get that, because what they're saying is that men don't get it. 
And I would agree with that. I think we should get the men and the women together. But men don't get it. So if that's true, that men shouldn't tell women what to do, then why did God tell Jeremiah to prophesy to these people? Here's an interesting thing that happened in Jeremiah chapter 20. They responded a certain way. They, they beat up Jeremiah and threw Jeremiah in jail. And after Jeremiah prophesies to people who are sacrificing their babies, watch what happens to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20. Verse 14 through 18, Jeremiah says this, "'Cursed be the day I was born. "'May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. "'Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, "'who made him very glad, saying, "'A child is born to you, a son. "'May that man be like the towns "'the Lord overthrew without pity. "'May he hear wailing in the morning, "'a battle cry at noon. "'For he did not kill me in the womb "'with my mother as my grave.'" her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to, the end of my, and to, to end my days in shame? So after prophesying to those who were sacrificing their babies, God made let Jeremiah feel the grief of what someone like that would feel like. And he didn't say a word. God didn't say, hey man, we don't talk like that. God let him feel that way. What prophet was ever told this? And what prophet? And I want you to read a sentence that gave me chills. For he did not kill me in the womb and make my mother my grave. What is the enemy trying to do that would make your body a grave? A grave for your dream, a grave for a child, a grave for your ambitions. The enemy wants to bring death into your life. And if you go back to Romans 7, the Bible says that the devil uses the law to do it. And because we, the law is good, we think that that's not possible. So now Jeremiah has been prophesied to, I knit you in your mother's womb. He's talking to people who have sacrificed their babies in the fire. Now he's feeling the, that, that feeling that he should have never been born. He's feeling that weight. He's feeling that weight. And guess what? Remember, they were sacrificing their children because they wanted a better future. And watch what God says to them in Jeremiah 29, 11. I have plans to prosper you, give you a future and a hope. I, you gotta get this part. The only place in scripture where God prophesies a future is to people who were worried about their future. That's why they were giving up their babies so that these foreign gods could bless their future. And so God prophesies a future, but watch what he says before Jeremiah 29, 11. He says in Jeremiah 29, 4, this is what the Lord of the heaven army said, the God of Israel say to all the captives, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children then have spouses for them so you can have many grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. And then he says, then I will come and do all the things I have planned for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Here is what's crazy. In this verse, the Lord tells these people, that his thoughts, the plans, my thoughts for you are good. Here's what's missing. Jeremiah 20, if you saw Jeremiah 19 and you saw people 
giving up their babies to the fires of hell. Would you quote Jeremiah 29, 11? Or would you yell, we got to stop this. This is a tough situation. I don't know what to do. I just know what God did. God had, had Jeremiah tell them, this is not what God wants in Jeremiah 19. Then in Jeremiah 20, he allowed Jeremiah to feel the feeling that they felt. Compassion. Truth in Jeremiah 19, compassion in Jeremiah 20, prophecy in Jeremiah 29. And what did he prophesy to? The thing that they were worried about, their future. I read an article about a woman who had an abortion and she said, I was worried about my future. And yet I can't find Jeremiah 29, 11 on any, any story. That God wants to prophesy to your future. So what does this, all this mean is I'm way over time. What have we learned? We have learned that absolutely God created every single person. I have never met a mother who, I, I've never met a kid who I wish their mother didn't have. We believe in the sanctity of life as a church. We believe that God is involved in that process. What have we learned? That's true. There's too many people that have gender reveal parties and all this stuff and birthday parties because we're celebrating the life of a human. We, we would call somebody a bad parent if they don't celebrate the life. But here's the thing. Does that mean that Roe versus Wade is this righteous thing that's coming from God? I don't think there's enough biblical evidence to support that. So we got to pray. And what is the solution when scripture is not clear? Wisdom. Wisdom. We need scripture. Our world needs to value life more. And that's clear in the scripture. But the laws, we need wisdom. There's nothing to support that that would be God's solution. Because I've read 18 verses and God didn't tell Jeremiah, let's make a law. He said, no, give him a prophecy. Because without prophetic revelation, the people perish. And so number one, life matters to God. So much so that even the baby that God didn't let live for David, God, David said, I'm going to see that baby again, that David would have an opportunity to, to, to meet his son. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. We have, we have not, we've learned life matters. We've also learned that, that believers cannot put this in the hands of the courts. We have to come together with people we don't agree with and ask them questions on why they believe what they believe and humble ourselves and learn and try to find some middle ground. Maybe we don't have complete agreement, but we need to agree enough to be able to move forward together. And what's happening right now is people are leaving conservative churches looking for progressive churches and people are leaving progressive churches and look, and everybody's in church that thinks the same way. And that is not God's will. God's will is unity, not separation. So we have to start having conversations with people. And I've had some conversations with people that I want to elbow in the face. <laughs> and I'm learning from them and they're learning from me. One of those conversations was someone who I felt attacked me on Instagram and I called him and we're talking. We're trying to figure this thing out. Number two, we have to have conversations with people we don't agree with. And number three, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need to make sure that we don't confuse that America is not Israel. I believe our nation is Egypt. And if our nation is Egypt, then our nation needs salvation. And from that salvation, he wants to make a people group all to his own that know that they're sons and daughters of the most high God. And, and we, we would become the family 
Ephesians 2 says the household of God and every healthy household has rules. But until they're in the household, I think grace needs to increase. So would you enjoin me as sin seems to be increasing in our nation to pray for an increase of grace in America and that God would call through salvation of people all to himself. And as they become a part of the household of God, we would understand that every healthy household has rules. But if we give the rules before they're part of the household, we do a grave disservice. And Romans 7 says the law that was intended to bring life brought death. Father, I thank you for an increase of grace in our nation, that godly laws are perfect or good and good, but if given too early, they don't produce the life they were intended to create. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, uh, I, I pray, Lord, for a con continued newfound confidence that if your word says that perfect love casts out fear, that you would give me a boldness where I'm not afraid of what people think about me or being afraid of people being mad at me because if perfect love casts out fear, I cannot love people who I'm afraid of. So help me to be bold. And God, I pray that you would humble the hearts of your people so they could hear different sides of and different perspectives and that like Paul said, it would be shameful that we would leave religious theology into the hands of a secular court, that we could come together and discuss it and hear different people's views. And for the, for the, the women out there who feel marginalized by this law, Lord, I hear them. I do believe we need more accountability for the men. But I also pray that it wouldn't drive them into a deeper sense of rebellion a deeper sense of sin and that they don't consult you, God. Pray that every woman who's pregnant would consult the Lord. So God, we ask you, Lord, to just help us heal from this and bring us together, God. And if I have failed you in any way, Lord, I, I repent right now. And Lord, I ask you to can give me continued wisdom to help lead this amazing group of people that although they think differently, they're yours. And I wanna take care of what belongs to you. Help me do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Love you so much. Hope you still love me. That was a tough one, but it was good. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts or your questions. And so if you have those, one more time, 818-213-1337, 818-213-1337. And I promise to get back to each and every one of you. Make sure that you are a part of our community, oasisla.org forward slash connect, online connect. We would love to hear from you. Love you so much, and I'll see you soon.